Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hallelujah. I had someone ask me, are you going to preach tonight? <laughs> we'll do whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, amen? But wasn't Sunday just powerful? Wasn't it just awesome? Isn't it just so cool to just be in God's presence and just, I heard someone say recently, we're not, uh, what did they say? We're not asking you to, we're not just giving you a moment, we're giving you the room. This this all belongs to him, right? This isn't like, okay, here's our part and here's God's part. We are submitted to him, he's not submitted to us. The last time I checked, he's not asking us what to do, we should be asking him what he wants to do, Amen. And when you get that in the right order, um, services like Sunday just become natural. And they become easy. And, um, and I pray that we expect those kind of things. Not coming in here trying to dictate. Look, we can be just as wrong trying to dictate that kind of service and manufacture that kind of service as we would if we were to come in here and say, okay, no, we're going to teach. We're going to do our thing. We're going to follow book line upon line. Um, it, 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 we, we get in a danger where we try to be God. We get in a danger where we try to play God. And um, let's just be sensitive to the Spirit of God and let's just go with what He wants to do and, and follow that. If we get it wrong, man, we'll correct it and we'll just keep driving on with what God wants to do. Amen? It really is the most liberating thing, what we've been ministering on, being living in the Spirit, life in the Spirit. You'll find that this is way more natural. We, we make things hard. We make things harder than they were intended to be. We make things more difficult than they were in, intended to be. We, we complicate things. I mean, today we were uh, challenging and asking questions and, and trying to confront things that were never meant to be confronted. Um, it takes more work to believe a lie than it does just to believe the truth. <laughs> Come on. It takes more work to be an atheist than to just believe that there's a God that's orchestrating all this. You, you're proving to me you, you have faith because you're believing in stuff that's crazier than just believing in this book right here. Come on, it, it takes more faith to believe uh, in, in all the different lies that the world is unfolding and unraveling to us. Let's just believe him at his word because his word is really simple. His word is not complicated. He's not making this thing difficult. You know, I've been ministering a series on Sunday now for several weeks on being distinct. And, you know, in, in one sense, that's the easiest series to minister on because it's just so easy to uh, identify ways to be distinct and separate from the world. And in the other sense, it's one of the hardest because it's everything that nobody wants to talk about right now. It's all the things that are like, taboo. We can't challenge people to holiness. We can't challenge people to righteousness. We can't challenge people to live according to the standard of the word. We can't expect people to live according to what they call archaic and out-of-date principles. And No, we can. There's a reason why this book is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a reason why this will never fade away. The flowers will fade. The grass will fade. You and I will fade, but the word will remain forever. And so let's just enjoy the simplicity of God's word and enjoy the simplicity of living 
in the spiritual uh, capacities and aspects that the word calls us to. And, I, you know, I hope that through all this that we've been journeying through on Wednesdays, I guess my heart is that the spiritual becomes natural again. That, that's really what my heart is, is that this becomes natural. That the, the, that the, you remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that you've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. Y'all remember that, right? New creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Do you know what a new nature means? That means that things are natural to you that are unnatural to others. And I know that it's countercultural to the world that we live in and to what's surrounding us on a daily basis. But this is the most natural way you and I were designed to live. These are, this should be the, the, the first instinct when you hear a report of sickness and disease is healing and health. Not doubt and unbelief. That should be the first instinct. I shouldn't have to convince you of what Jesus paid the price for in your body. Okay? This is, this is what I'm talking about. This is the simplicity of the truth of God's word. But there's so many, we, we, we find ourselves needing to explain so much of the Spirit, understand so much of the Spirit. And again, if you remember, the qualifier is not understanding but believing. We've got to learn to be people that believe without understanding. That's called faith. Faith means that it may not all make sense in the natural. I may not be able to make two plus two, uh, you know, as, as distinct as that. But at the end of the day, his word trumps any other word that comes. And so we've got to, we have to continue to process this and practice this to a sense and to a point where the supernatural becomes more real than the natural. And so my, my, my heart, my prayer is that through all this, spiritual realities become more natural to you. They become the instinct. They become what I believe first. I'm not having to work so hard to get over to that. And of course, last week, we journeyed through Numbers chapter 13. And um, just to briefly recap, because I want to kind of piggyback on some things that we saw. But you remember the Israelites came to the edge of the promised land, got to go in and actually spy out the promised land. And we have been talking specifically the last several weeks now uh, in regards to this element of spirit versus feelings. Identifying the difference between the spirit realm and the soul realm. And our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. Um, you know, the reason why a lot of what I'm saying in these particular services and, and, and addressing a lot of these things, why it might be difficult is because the world um, has been... Uh, appealing to your flesh and to your feelings for a very long time now. And the church bought into this lie uh, and bought into this confusion that we have to appeal to your soul to get you and to keep you. We have to contact you on the level of your soul, how you feel, what you think, your opinions, valuing all those different things. And you know that's what the world is chasing after. And, and so what's, what's dangerous now is the church 
is lending its greatest efforts to appealing to the very thing Jesus has called us to crucify. (laughs) I'll say that again. The church has bought the lie and is using its greatest efforts to appeal to the very thing Jesus called us to crucify. You know, if you think about it in life, where you have seen the greatest growth, development, increase, was probably somebody in your life that challenged you outside of your feelings. A parent. You know, sometimes in parenting, you can't worry about how your kids feel about it. I hope you, I hope not. Come on. Coaches. I got coaches in this room, don't I? And you know it, it, that you're going to have to override how your, your, your athlete feels. You feel tired, but you're going to give me another lap. You feel, and sometimes you do things just to push, to intentionally push past the feeling. I got CrossFit guys in here. You know about overriding feelings. You can't let feelings, at some point, you can't let feelings talk to you. Maybe in the military. It doesn't matter how you feel. This is the response that we need. So you go through something called boot camp that is designed to destroy your feelings, and your flesh, and what you want to do. But somehow in the church, we're not allowed to challenge that way. In the church, that's not allowed. On the soccer field, you want your, I mean, you, you got those parents that, I mean, give them to them. Get my, my kid needs to run more laps. You know, it's, it's like, you're like, you know, you, you want that type of intensity, you know, destroy the flesh, beat down the flesh, you know, Crush the flesh, you know, get, get that out, right? You know, we, we have posters in locker rooms like uh, pain is weakness leaving the body. You know, we've, we've got all these crazy, you know, ideas of, and, and to an extent it's true. But then in the church, we're over here appealing to the flesh and appealing to the soul and appealing to, you know, I, I mean, I, if I hear another pastor talk about being real and, and I struggle just like you, should, I know you do. I know you do. Every person on this planet struggles. You think I'm standing up here and I haven't dealt with the lust, haven't dealt with greed, haven't dealt with uh, gossip, haven't dealt with looking at the wrong thing, haven't dealt with saying the wrong thing, haven't dealt with wanting to cuss somebody out or give them a certain finger. You think I'm literally up here never having dealt with those things. Come on, guys. Not I mean... I understand being real and authentic, but you know that about me. If you just want to be honest, you know I face the same. Jesus faced the same temptations we face. (laughs) Who are we kidding that somebody's literally living so spiritual that they're not facing the temptations you're facing in a pew that I'm not facing up here because I have a microphone in my hand. I'm on a platform. Come on. I've had to counsel. Uh, I've got to work on my marriage. I've got to work on being a dad. I, I, I have all those things. But if you just want someone that just stands up here and says, I'm going through what you're going through, you're never going to grow out of that. And I'm doing you a massive disservice just standing up here telling you, I struggle like you. You don't want that. 
You want someone that says, man, I, I faced those struggles, but let me show you what the word says. Let me show you what God says. Let me show you how to beat that thing. Let me show you how to overcome that thing. We've bought this lie somehow that unless you've been through what I've been through, you can't minister to me. Then Jesus was the worst minister on the planet because he literally never sinned as anybody else did. And we have this saying, you know, Jesus hung out with sinners. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't hang out with sinners. Sinners hung out with Jesus. Let's get it in order. There was something about Jesus' life that was so attractive that said, I want what, that, what they have. I've got to have what he has. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Oh, he went to his house. No, Zacchaeus climbed the tree first. So I wonder, what about the church today is so attractive that the world is coming finding you? There's something about living in the Spirit that you'll find... It's not as weird and kooky as you think it is. It's actually the very element that's missing in our lives that is causing the mission of the church to, to, to go on a downward spiral as it is. This, is. this is what's missing. It's life in the spirit. We were never designed to live this life from our soul and from our flesh. We were designed to live it from the spirit and subject our soul and our flesh to the leading of our spirit. You see the difference? I need the soul, I need the spirit, but they are servants, not masters. And so when my soul gets in charge, it's always going to lead me down the wrong path. It's going to lead me away from God's plan. It's going to lead me away from my mission. It's going to lead me away from my assignment. And no wonder you want to leave rather than change. Because your spirit says, I don't want to go anywhere. Keep me right here. I've got work to do. Your soul starts to feel, and your flesh starts to see with its senses, and it starts to say, whoa, it's insurmountable. I mean, sure, if we just judge the assignment of the church, just naturally speaking, man, we're up against it. I mean, every time we take one step forward, there's 10 steps backward. Every time we overturn one thing, there's, they've got 10 more things that they're, they're making up and, and defining. I mean, it, it, it's really... It baffles your mind trying to keep up with the sin in the world. I'll just be honest with you. It's like, man, you know what? Just forget it. Sure, you want to throw in the towel, naturally speaking, soulishly speaking. But when your spirit is the guide and your spirit is hearing from heaven and your spirit is connected to the Father in heaven, then you recognize, oh, we got a mission. We got a purpose. Man, you start seeing brokenness different. You start seeing brokenness. You, you, you start seeing, man, I got to get in there and change that. Where the flesh gets overwhelmed, the spirit gets overjoyed. Come on. Where the flesh says, we can't change that. There's nothing we can do about that. That's too far gone. The spirit says, man, I got this. Get aside, flesh. Die, flesh. Crucify, flesh. Kill, flesh. We got work to do. And we can change this. And we can see change. But that, those are people that live by the Spirit and not by their senses, by their feelings. You're always going to get compromised in your mission when we're led by our feelings. So in Numbers chapter 13, we saw that these Israelites, they got to the, the edge of the promised land. And of course, they uh, 12 spies, 10 out of 12, were led by their what? Feelings. Led by their 
fivefold senses. They saw giants. They heard stories. They uh, uh, felt overwhelmed by the uh, inhabitants of the land and the vastness of the land. And they allowed their feelings to lead rather than the spirit. But Joshua and Caleb, of course, they stay connected in the spirit. You recognize that, you know, a, a lot of times faith people, uh, we get criticized of denying facts. We get criticized of not being able to see what is right in front of us. Joshua and Caleb knew there were giants. You're not going to find one time where they said, I don't know what giants they're talking about. I don't see it. Get a report of, you know, cancer from the doctor. And we get accused of, oh, no, there's no cancer. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that there's another report. We're saying that there's another report stronger than that report. Caleb did not speak up and, and deny that they were, I don't know where they're getting this craziness. There were no giants. They were all our size. They were actually bigger than that. You know, they didn't deny anything that the 10 spies said. They just denied the, the, the power and the authority of that report to have more power and authority than God's report. You see the difference. Whose report will you believe? So faith is not denying facts. It's looking facts square in the face and say, you can't take me out. You don't have the authority. You don't have the power. I got a word. That is my land. That is my territory. This has been, pro you're in my stuff right now. And we're coming in and getting it out. And we'll march around your walls and we'll camp on your grounds and we'll move you guys right on out and we'll tear down your idols and we'll do whatever we got to do to make this land our land once again. That's not denying facts. That's, that's recognizing the facts and saying it's not, that, it's not more truthful than God's word. So they weren't led by their feelings. They weren't led by their senses. And we have sold the church on a lie and we've told the church a lie that your feelings matter. That what you want matters. And if you had a personal trainer that trained you that way, you'd work out at Planet Fitness. I'm playing. That was, that was mean. If you go to Planet Fitness... I'm sure you do real hard workouts, and I mean, when, when, you're, when your tagline is the no-judge zone, I mean, it tells you what kind of workout you're looking for. I, I don't know. <laughs> What's that? Uh, Miss Bonnie's in there changing cultures, what she's doing. If you had a personal trainer that always catered to your feelings, you better fire that trainer, man. Come on. We wouldn't expect that from a doctor. Do you want a doctor that is withholding information because they care about your feelings? And why do you want a pastor that does that? Right? I mean, if we had people that doctored the way we expect people to pastor, take away that guy's medical license, man. That, 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 there's no other element of society. There's no other aspect of, of culture or society that we would expect that kind of behavior, that kind of tolerance, that kind of avoidance because of how somebody might feel or what 
what, you know, what they might do if I say the wrong thing or if I challenge too hard or push too hard. I'm telling you right now, this word, I, I, I ought to put a sign on the front of the door. You will be offended. You, this word absolutely will offend your flesh. Because God always offends flesh to get to your heart. He can't even get to your heart until he's offended your flesh. I'm not saying you come into church always looking to get beat up and beat down and spanked or whatever you know, whatever term you want to put on. This is a happy place, I promise. This is a happy place. There is so much encouragement, but your flesh doesn't want any of it. Your feelings don't want any of it. And if you're, if you're in the business of chasing feelings, then ultimately we're not going to get to the core of what the Word of God has. And let me tell you something. If, if, since you're so in tune to your feelings, and since you so value your feelings, you're not even getting to use your feelings for what God designed them for in the first place. Being led by them. It's not going to work. We're going to find ourselves on the precipice of promises just as these Israelites and our feelings are going to talk ourselves, talk us out every time. Your feelings are going to say, that's ah, too big. Can't do it. Can't make it. Too hard. What was that word that came last week? Unless you're willing to step out on a maybe, you'll never discover what might be. Wasn't that a powerful word? Until you're willing to step out on a maybe, you'll never discover what might be. There's a lot of maybes that believers, God's people, are not willing to step out on because their feelings talk them out every time. Their senses, their senses talk them out of it every time. Peter was doing just fine walking on that water until he saw the winds and the storm stirring around him. And because of what he saw, it caused him to sink. Because of what these Israelites saw, it caused them to talk themselves out of what God was trying to lead them into. And so that's what we're trying to journey into. We cannot continue to deposit, make deposits in our feelings and make withdrawals from our spirit. It's not going to happen. You cannot make deposits in your feelings. What feels good, what feels good, what feels... Imagine if we just continue to live life on what we felt. And we're watching it happen before our very eyes. People leave homes. They leave families. They, they chase jobs because of a feeling, simply a feeling. Just That's all they got. I, I, I just don't feel... I just don't feel like it's for me anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like being a dad anymore. I don't feel like being a husband anymore. I don't feel like being a wife anymore. Just, just on the mere fact of feelings. Man, we give feelings way too much control. Genesis chapter 3. Well, actually, Genesis chapter 2. Let me start there. Genesis chapter 2. Guys, I don't think I gave you that verse. If you can pull that up in the New King James. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 7. Then we're going to jump over to Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Everyone say breath. And man became a living being. We have people today that are alive, but they're not living. They're existing, but they're not living. There's a difference. Living means effective. Living means productive. Living means you're a contributor to society. Living means that you're affecting change around you. I mean, there, the, you, know, you, you know even death lives. Cancer lives, grows, but it's toxic and it's unhealthy and it kills everything in its path, right? So just the fact that we're breathing doesn't mean we're living. But here, Adam being formed of the dust of the ground, it's very particular. It says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that word breath is the word pneuma. Pneuma, it's actually where we get the word for Holy Spirit. He actually is breathing into him the very spirit of God. And man doesn't even come alive until the spirit of God is placed into the, the flesh and to the natural elements that God has orchestrated and God has put together. Meaning this, you and I were not designed to operate on this earth and in this life without the life or the spirit of God. God's spirit connecting with your spirit. You've heard us say it many times. You're a three-part being, right? You are a spirit. You possess a soul. And that's, where, that's the division that we're trying to make. And then you live in or you're housed in in a body. And when we talk about flesh, there's two parts to flesh. There's lit the literal flesh you see, the body, right? Natural, how I contact this world. You have to have, see, all parts are important. I'm not trying to eliminate, but I am trying to prioritize. Because guess what? If we kill your flesh, this, this house, this temple, this vehicle, guess what happens to your spirit? It exits the earth. Your flesh literally gives that spirit access into this realm. And it's how you make contact with this world. So we can't eliminate the flesh because you need it. We just need to put it in its proper place, put it in its proper order. The other part of flesh, when we talk about flesh, is the, the, the nature or its desires. And because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we're born into this earth with a sinful nature, fleshly desires, even what the, what the Bible calls carnal. So even though I'm born again, Saved, carnal is a saved person that lives like an unsaved person. That's what carnal means. Means I'm in the kingdom, but I'm still living according to my old fleshly, natural desires. Does that make sense? Okay. So this soul is, is in the middle. This soul space is in the middle. And it was never designed to operate and serve at at, at the, the mercy of the flesh. God designed it in such a way that my spirit in heaven, God's, God's spirit in heaven, contacts your spirit in the earth, and then your soul functions from that. And before Genesis chapter 3, that's all that Adam and Eve knew. They knew God's commands. 
They, they, they had his instructions. They had his provisions. They had their assignment, right? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, uh, uh, operate in dominion on the earth, rule and reign on the earth. All of that was to be done from the spirit, not from the flesh, not from the soul. All of that was the, your function, your design, your purpose was all designed to be uh, uh, propagated and negotiated through your spirit. And so when man sinned in Genesis chapter 3, go ahead and go over to Genesis chapter 3, all that changed. And we're going to see here how that changed. Because here's the thing about the spirit of man. The spirit of man, in this case, alive to God, it's alive, it's not dead. God breathed the spirit into man. Sin has not entered in the earth. Man, as a spirit, is contacting and responding to God by the spirit, not by the flesh. So that's, uh, there's just so much that opens up when we, follow, when we fully understand the fact that I'm a spirit being housed in a fleshly natural body there's so much that opens up instead of trying to work this thing the other way around and in genesis chapter 3 verse 1 now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the lord god had made and he said to the woman has god indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden now that's a word that's a word and the the design and the purpose of this word is to get the woman to think Challenge what the woman says. Challenge uh, or challenge what God says and challenge what the woman thinks. At this point in time, Adam and Eve are only believing and knowing what God has instructed, right? If you eat the fruit of this tree, you will surely die. Whatever that means. They, they might not even fully know what that means because it hasn't occurred yet. It's not like they've seen somebody die and say, yeah, we, we don't want any part of that. They just know he told us not to eat the fruit of the tree. We're not going to eat the fruit of the tree. And now the, the enemy comes in. Notice that he doesn't attack them in their spirit because he can't. The devil does not have access to their spirit capacity. But he knows this. It hinges on what their soul does. So if I can challenge them in the soul realm, their cognitive, their thinking, mind, will, and emotions, if I can challenge them and question God's word in their thinking, this is why renewing the mind is so important. You see how it all comes back around. So in essence, the enemy sees the soul as the doorway to the spirit of Adam and Eve, of mankind. It's the doorway. This is why Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, sounds like a goofy statement, doesn't it? Well, I've got ears and I can hear. Right? That, that makes sense. No, no, no. Is your doorway accessing the world, the flesh, or is your doorway giving God access by the spirit? Which, which one do you have it linked up to? And so the enemy knows all I've got to do is plant a question, plant a thought, 
Now, you can have thoughts come all day long. You can have temptations. This is a temptation. That's all this is. It's a temptation. Understand that there were temptations in paradise. There was temptation in a perfect environment. There was temptation before there was sin. There was temptation when when God and man are working in perfect harmony. Even then, temptation came and tried to wedge its way in between. You're never going to avoid that. You're never going to get away from that. I mean, without getting too deep into end times type stuff, we we think that we're just going to be in this this realm of heaven where we're just automatically going to respond uh, to God's word favorably. This is paradise, and there's still temptations. (laughs) That's not going to ever alleviate. We're never going to exist in a realm where we just automatically do what God wants. The devil himself was in heaven with God and chose to rebel against God. So what happened? Adam and Eve entertained what was deposited in the soul. And this is, this is, this is what the world wants you to do. They don't need you to fully buy in right away. They just need you to entertain it. Just entertain the thought. Just let it hang around. There's a verse in the Bible. You know it. Take every thought. There's no taking thoughts captive happening in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the entertaining of thoughts. It's not taking it captive. It's actually inviting it in and giving it a seat at the table, and can I make you dinner, and can I run you a hot bath, and here's some nice towels. Come on. I know it sounds silly, but that's what's taking place. They've invited the thought in. Then they've entertained it. Think about entertaining guests in your home. They've entertained a guest in their soul capacity. This is how it begins, guys. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So if you entertain one thought, don't be surprised when that thought invites other thoughts to come over and you begin entertaining their friends too. You with me? One leads to another. So because we brought in this thought, did God really say? Then the devil says, hey, I got, a, I got another friend. Uh, do you mind if I call him over? It's, um, it's, it's my good friend. You will not surely die. Can he come in? Oh, sure. Come on in. I've got enough here for both of you. Entertaining thoughts. Where? In my soul. Right now, the spirit has not been compromised, but we're entertaining. We sure are heading down the wrong path. We've opened up a door that now the devil is gaining access to an area that he is not privy to unless you give it to him. The devil cannot touch you in your spirit. He can only reach you in your soul, but it's the soul, whether you leave that door open or not, whether you continue to leave that portal open where he can just shove in more thoughts and more thoughts and more thoughts. 
Let me, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Doubt doesn't start out as doubt. Doubt starts out as unbelief. You invite in unbelief, and before you know it, you've got full-grown doubt. It start, challenging starts with questioning. I just question it. Maybe there is another way. Maybe uh, when it says, by his stripes, I'm healed, maybe that doesn't mean for today. Maybe there's a, 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 you know, a, an expiration date on this scripture. Maybe he didn't cover all sickness and disease. And so it just starts as the question, well, before you know it, you've got full-blown doubt. Now, God doesn't heal today. It's his will. Actually, he puts sickness and disease on people to teach them. It grows into this because we entertained. We entertained in in verse 1. We entertained in verse 3. And before you know it, verse 6 says, So when the woman saw, what's that? That's one of our five senses, isn't it? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant Sounds like a feeling to me, to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Then she acted out of her flesh. But look at all the the, uh, red flags. Look at all the areas her soul was compromised first before her flesh acted upon what her soul entertained. We could have... We, we, we could have avoided all of this if we would have had 2 Corinthians chapter 10 written before Genesis chapter 3, take every thought captive and, and force it into the obedience of Christ, right? If only Paul had written 2 Corinthians 10 before we had Genesis chapter 3. If only they had this revelation. No, this is the great thing about it. This is the most amazing thing about it is Adam and Eve didn't need any of that. Like, we can write about it afterward, but Adam and Eve didn't need a Bible. Adam and Eve didn't need a pastor. Adam and Eve didn't need to have a home church community that surrounded them and loved them and held them accountable. Adam and Eve didn't need uh, any of it. Adam and Eve didn't need Jesus to die on a cross. Adam and Eve didn't need any of the stuff we had at our disposal. You know what they needed? To not entertain a thought that raised itself against the command of Christ and bring it into subjection, bring it into captivity, and force it into the obedience of the word. All they needed was a word. The word was, do not eat the fruit of this tree or you will surely die. And that one word saved their life. Isn't that amazing? So what excuse do we have? It could have completely altered humanity for time if we would have what? Not entertained a word that brought itself up against the Israelites, the ten spies, entertained a word that brought itself up against the word of God. David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, entertained a thought that brought itself against what he knew was righteous living. Every, everywhere we fail, everywhere is because we allow our feelings to override our spirit. Rather than bringing our feelings into subjection to our spirit. So you see here, 
that the enemy brings a thought, and then he appeals. I skipped the verse, but in verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is, this is the issue, um, and I've brought this out before, but what happens when we live out of the soul is we try to manufacture what we were only supposed to get by the Spirit. We try to manufacture. Uh, in essence, this is actually the in inception of religion. That's religious activity, trying to create naturally what God wants to give spiritually, what God has given spiritually. That's this, this the first religious activity. All religious activity is, if you go throughout history, religion appeals to the soul at the expense of your spirit every time. It, it, it gets you to feel a way, gets you to think a way, gets you to desire a thing. It gets you to strive and, and, and go after things naturally. I mean, like, like what happened this past Sunday, man? I mean, it's just just such an easy example. What we had happen for those that yielded in service on Sunday, I can promise you there's no vacation on this planet that can refresh you like the Spirit of God. You can go to Hawaii, and the day you get back, I'm going to ask you, hey, how was Hawaii? Man, it was good, but now I need a vacation from vacation. How many times have y'all said that? I've said it too. Vacation will wear you out. <laughs> yeah, it will. Especially with kids. Yeah. But what do we do? We continue to seek after things naturally that God wants to provide. Got nothing wrong with, not, nothing against vacations. But I tell you what, people are taking vacations thinking that's going to be the answer. And they've never once relied on the Spirit of God to refresh them, renew them. They, I mean, it was, a, it was a worship song away. It was just get, pull it up on your phone and play it. It was right there in their room the whole time, right there in the car the whole time. The refreshing of the, it was 15 minutes praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, strengthening their spirit man from the inside. It's all they needed. They didn't have to spend $3,000 on a trip and get on a plane and have to wear a mask and go through all of the stuff they have to go through and deal with the people they had to deal with. They didn't have to go through all that. I mean, I've never been to Hawaii. I'm sure it's a great place, but it, it cannot take you anywhere that the Spirit of God isn't already trying to provide for you. I'm telling you. But that's what religion is. It's trying to do in the natural what only God can provide in the spiritual. And you know what? Religion, it keeps you hungry, but it never satisfies. Man, it, uh, there's not one time religious activity satisfied me. Not one time. Not one time has it answered. And the problem with it is it, it, it builds on itself. So if I do something naturally to try to obtain it, then I have to keep doing things naturally to keep it. So she tried to obtain 
thinking like God, being wise, desirable to make, you know, all, all these things because the devil is appealing to her senses. The devil is appealing to her feelings. The devil is appealing to her flesh. Just like I said, appealing to the thing that we've been called to crucify. So then, in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. You might not be, um, uh, you know, in, in, in a desire to gain what the soul can access for you, you might not always be, um, you might not be satisfied with the results of what's revealed. Because now they saw something that caused another response. They saw that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What's that? More religious activity to cover up what their religious activity had just revealed. And now we're stuck in the entire Old Testament of sowing fig leaves. Man has been sowing fig leaves since Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Man has been reducing their lives to artificial, superficial, natural, religious, inferior means ever since then. And that wasn't even enough. Still wasn't enough. They've got fig leaves on. They've covered themselves. And verse 8 says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid the more religious activity. When is religion ever satisfied? When do we ever satisfy the, the attempt and the hunger of, of religious activity? When is that, that, when, when is that ever, when, when does it leave you Oh, I've made it. No, because you cannot provide naturally what God provides spiritually. You go on to find that God did what only God could do, killed an animal and provided them different covering until Jesus Christ comes in the New Testament, lays down his life and becomes the answer for all that only God could do. Why? Because when we live by the soul, when we live out of our flesh, when we give in to everything that appeals to our soul, when we think that what God is after is a feeling, an atmosphere, a presence. You know, we say things like God's presence changes everything. Jesus' presence changes everything. Well, it doesn't. You understand that Jesus ministered one time in a room in a house full of doubters and unbelievers, and they were not changed. In fact, it only further fueled their anger to kill him and crucify him. I understand what we're saying, that the, the, the presence of God has the capacity to change people, yes. But just because you're in the presence, just because you're in the room, doesn't mean you are being changed, and it's, it's, it's literally cultivating culture, and it's really uh, you're really encountering God. 
I mean, I've been in places where the presence of God was so tangible. I mean, you couldn't hardly stand up. You couldn't keep from crying. You couldn't keep from laughing. I mean, it, it was just whatever what whatever emotion was evoked in that moment. It's almost like it's almost like you didn't have control over it. But I've seen people just be stone faced not even moved, not even challenged, not even changed, and probably ridiculing and mocking the move of God the whole time. Just because the presence of God shows up does not mean it's automatically changing us. I need to be yielded to it. Got to be yielded to it. Not yielded in emotions, not yielded in my soul, yielded in my spirit. Allowing my spirit to engage. Allowing my spirit to encounter God. The Bible says, John chapter 4 explicitly says, those who worship him must. Everyone say must. That means there's no option. Those are the kind of words in the Bible I like. Must. Just make it black and white. Just make it clear. Must worship him in what? Spirit and in truth. And it's not one or the other, it's both and. you got to have them both. You're going to worship him in spirit, and you're, gonna, you're not going to worship God contacting your soul realm. I, I just put it this way. Your crying to God doesn't move him. He's waiting for someone to get in faith. Our crying, our emotional Oh, God. I mean, yeah. Did people get emotional? Yes. Absolutely. Well, are there emotions? Is there grieving? Is there mourning? Is there rejoicing? But let me ask you this. Why are we instructed to rejoice? You ever thought about that? I mean, if it's, if it's worth rejoicing about, have you ever had to instruct somebody? You ever been at a football game, your team scores the touchdown, and you have to look at people and say, okay, this is the time we set. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, woo! They scored, all right. No, it's automatic, isn't it? Why? Because rejoicing in the kingdom comes in times that are not worth rejoicing over. What's that mean? I'm not contacting my soul anymore. I'm contacting my spirit. Contacting my spirit now, and then my soul responds to that. You don't have to instruct people to rejoice unless it's a moment like you're in prison when Paul wrote those words, rejoice, and again I say rejoice, from a prison cell. What am I saying? We're living beyond contacting the soul. We're living beyond mind, will, and emotions. We're living beyond how I feel. We're living beyond what I think. We're living beyond just being appealed to on what's in it for me, what's in it for me, what's in it for me. And we're engaging the spirit and saying, God, what's the word? What's the word say? What's the word say? I mean, I'll be honest, probably in pastoring, that's probably the most difficult thing. And I understand why there are so many pastors that have resorted to soulish measures only. Because the, the most difficult job in pastoring is challenging your spirit at the expense of your soul. And so many others will sympathize with your soul at the expense of your spirit. That's the hardest thing, is to look at someone when they get a report, uh, you know, uh, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's happened just recently. 
get a, a, a medical report in your body. And then I have to ask the question of where are you at? What are we believing for? Because I know, I know how that, that report hits like a ton of bricks. Whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in a, in, a, in a health or physical situation, whether it be a financial situation. I've cried with people. I've wept with people. I've rejoiced with people. I've celebrated with people. I have uh, been angry with people. But I always have to come back to. I have to. I, you, this is not a church where your flesh will get petted. This is not a church where we will uh, uh, bow to your feelings. And I have to reduce it back to when I've wiped the tears from my eyes and you have as well, we get it back together and we say, let's look at what the word says. Let's get back to what you're, because your spirit on the inside is crying out saying, we're going to fight for this marriage. We're going to believe this is going to turn around. We're going to believe that this cancer is going to die. We're going to believe that they're going to live and not die. We're going to believe that we're going to come through on the other side. We're going to believe, we're going to believe, we're going to believe, we're going to believe. I have to bring you back to what the word says or I'm not doing my job and I will stand before Jesus one day for that. So I'll cry with you. I'll hug your neck. I will have compassion for what's going on. I, 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 will, I will be brokenhearted with you. Uh, Jesus was moved with compassion, but it didn't eliminate his capacity to, to be connected to the Spirit of God and fulfill his assignment on the earth. Amen? We've got to be Spirit-led people. Brother Hagin said this before he passed. He said, the greatest need in the church in the last days will be those that are led by the Spirit. That will be the greatest need. Because there are, there are so many other ways to be led. And the reason why we're going through this, guys, is because feelings and spirit get confused a lot. Well, I feel like, I feel like, I sense, I sense. And we need a knowing. Live God wants us to live beyond just second guessing or hoping that we hit the nail on the head. I think he wants us targeted. He wants us knowing, laser focused what the Spirit of God wants to do and how we can fulfill that. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.